behavior. Do you want it? You're dying for it. Yes, people, welcome back to another episode of What Is This Behaviour? A podcast where three South Asian London-based creatives speak to other South Asians around the world who are going against the grain in order to redefine who we can be as a people. Um, I am one of your hosts, Aaron Christian, and I'm joined by Almas Bedet, as always, and my brother, Ruben Christian. Now... This is one of our guest episodes, and on the pod today, we have Mr. Joseph Patel himself. Now, if anyone knows what I do, uh, and one of uh, the passions, huge passions of mine in my life, and also happens to be what I do for a living, is I'm a director, I'm a filmmaker. So this was a huge uh, win stroke fanboy moment um whatever you want to call it for me to get joseph on the pod if you don't know who joseph patel is then i am going to read his amazing bio joseph patel is an academy award winner he is the recent bafta winning producer oscar winning producer of summer of soul so it's the recent documentary film that came out which was directed by amir questlove thompson um it was the most celebrated documentary of 2021 um it won the grand jury prize the audience award um for u.s documentary in 2021 sundance uh, as well as just those small little awards baftas and the oscar um so yeah just an amazing episode in which we've got um a truly talented great producer and individual we went through the obvious stuff of uh, how he got into the industry um, how he has managed to maintain a long and healthy career Uh, we touched upon briefly his time uh, at Vimeo um, talked about obviously the winning the awards and how um, he's managed to kind of navigate uh, that his future projects his thoughts on being a South Asian uh, filmmaker and producer and also um, the first Patel to win an Oscar so big big ups on that um, and then a number of different points we also talk about his name change um, you know what just loads of loads of dope stuff it was an amazing episode it was one of our international episodes as well truly international episodes because Almas was dialing in from India and then Joseph was dialing in from New York so yeah just a dope uh, episode especially those uh, wanting to kind of get into filmmaking um, a true pleasure to have Joseph on the pod let's just get into it what is this behavior yeah this is this is one of proper this is a first I think for the podcast this is a first in terms of it being a truly truly international episode we have got the amazing Joseph Patel um, dialing in all the way from New York uh, Brooklyn New York and then we've got me and Ruben in sunny old East London. And Mass, Mass where are you at again? You're in, I'm in Delhi. You're in India? You're in yeah, Delhi. Yeah, I'm in, in India, in Delhi, in um, a colony called SDA. Wow. That's exactly where I am. Yeah, and, and Joseph, where you are at the moment, you say Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. What's the weather like there? Because so far, London is sunny, Delhi is sunny. Is Brooklyn right now following suit? Mm, you don't really want to talk about the weather, do you? Oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it's a I think perfect it's the most bridge British into the thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 first thing we do is talk about the weather. <laughs> it's it's grey and humid and uh, a little warm. Not sunny today. Okay, fair play. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that's this time of the morning, ten a.m. over there, right? Yeah, yeah. Is this working hours start for for creative like yourself, or do you start a lot mm. earlier usually? You know, what's interesting is I, I have in the last five years, I've gotten to a fairly good regular working schedule before mm. that it was, you know, lots of late hours into the night. And um, and I and I had to make the adjustment to actually conform to regular working hours relatively. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And and actually, Summer of Souls, the first project I did where I didn't succumb to like late night fits of creativity and, 
you know, often alcohol fueled. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and get proper sleep and like, and, you know, it was an adjustment I made. It was a little frightening, but it worked out. So. Yeah. Wow. The irony is as, as how successful it's been and like, yeah, I, I don't know, guys. Do you want to go straight into someone? So I've got, I've literally got loads I of mean, bullet point I, questions here. I, I was already for time. Yeah, I mean, I was already entertained by your answer when you mentioned alcohol, and on your acceptance speech, I think one of them asked you how you're going to celebrate, and you shouted out from the far right, alcohol. So was that the celebration on that <laughs> night, you guys? You oh, guys I don't well, even remember was, that. Um, <laughs> that's telling. <laughs> Uh yeah, lots of we had lots of champagne and In and Out burgers. Yeah, In and Out burgers. Yeah, what does yeah, that Ru- even mean? Uh, it's Ru- a, Ruben's it's not a, that traveled. Sorry, it's man. a California chain. Oh, seen okay. Yeah. Ruben, it's yeah, a dope ass burger chain. You've yeah, got yeah. to go, Rubes. Yeah. There's like a there's like an off menu menu. Like mm. it's a, it's actually terrible. Yeah, it's really? like it's. Oh, you're killing well, me! Well, it's terrible, <laughs> but it's iconic. Like you go in your drive-through, and it's like on a Friday night. I feel like the cars are like um, stacked up, like way out. Yeah, Shit. it's kind of like a rite of passage, I think, if you go to the West Coast. Yeah, the yeah. secret. The secret about In and Out is that it's actually not good, but <laughs> it is a rite of passage. Mass is right, and and, yeah. and it is and it, and it is. It's I guess it's tasty as like a junk food item but as a burger it's actually terrible well, okay well d- then give us the plug then what's the what's the burger spot if uh, we're going to uh new york or, or the states because i may i don't know I, everybody has their preference but it's not in and out burger <laughs> and you know what well done though for being able to maintain like such a balanced schedule and win an award off the back of that practice because usually it's the other way around you know when people actually win awards and they do the, the work that actually gets massive recognition it's mm. those kind of projects where you have zero sleep you've lost body weight you've lost like will to live so well, well done though. i no, but i think there i mean it, i think it was intentional right like i i for so much of my career so much of my working life i bought into this idea that you know you you work whenever you can work and Often it's late into the night. Often it's fueled by some, you know, something extracurricular. Uh, you don't get a lot of sleep. And, mm. and and for a long time, I really believed that that was the way to be creative or the way mm. I, I was best creative. And, you know, about five, six, seven years ago, I started, you know, doing a lot of work on myself personally and and started realizing that you know, as you get older, you just start to realize that those things don't work for you anymore. Right. Mm. If mm. they ever did at all. And so I made a very conscious effort to make sure I'm, I was getting seven to eight hours of sleep every night, drinking a lot of water during the day, not going to bed intoxicated, um, not working late. Like uh, what would happen is my wife would go to sleep and I'd stay up to like five in the morning working Shit. and wow. thinking, thinking that, you know, it was, quiet and I was most productive and and I often was productive, but I also don't think that in the, in the whole big picture that that actually worked for me. And I actually don't think it works for a a lot of people. We just don't see it. And, and so it was actually working on summer souls, the hardest thing I've ever worked on. It was also really enjoyable, but it was also the first project in my life that I worked on without relying on the usual creative crutches that I had previously. And I was, it was more manageable. It was, it was, I was more clear headed. Um, and, and I was more creative in, in, in the larger scheme of things. And so I actually, it, it, I, you know, I know we started out joking about it, but it really is actually, and it was an intentional thing to start working on, to, to divorce myself from the usual creative crutches that I had been leaning on previously. And, and it was a little frightening because you don't know if, you will be as creative at four in the afternoon as you are at four in the morning. But it turned out for me that it, it actually, I was more creative. Mm. Wow. That's, um, do, do you, who's, yeah, who's, well, Aaron, you, th- thank you, Joseph. That, I think that's really um, valuable actually for anyone thinking about or reflecting on how they uh, process their own creative patterns. And um I recently also started, well, in the past two years, started to create like a nine to five kind of model for myself, um, which helped create structure. But Aaron, at the beginning, you said um, 
you asked like sort of where we want to start and I think we should start well I want to start with just knowing like Joseph how did you actually get into film like what was your entry point into the creative world were you always a creative or was there a pivot somewhere along the way where you thought actually no I want to delve into this uh yeah I mean much to my parents dismay uh (laughs) I was uh creative very early I'd I never like I've never learned how to play an instrument, even though I tried. I never knew how to draw, even though I tried. Um, But I was drawn to the arts. Right. And music was sort of my first obsession and uh, as a fan of music. And and that started really like as a 10 year old. Right. And um, and all through high school and in, in through college, like music was my obsession. And. And what music did for me was it was a gateway into learning about the world. It's how I learned about photography and design and architecture and literature and economics Mm. and politics and uh, social justice. And like it just music became like the it became the way I shaped my worldview. And Mm. and so it was very um, sort of a natural thing for me to want to work in music in some capacity. And my parents hated that idea. <laughs> um, of course, of course they did. Were your parents um, creatives? I'm assuming not. No, no. My my dad was an engineer, and my mother worked in Silicon Valley. Um, okay. Okay. And uh, it was, you know, they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. The 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 yeah, the, the cliche, usual route. <laughs> which I fought against, and and we we you know we it was a real like existential battle but you know within my family um as it is for a lot of uh children of immigrants with their parents and i but i persisted right i know a lot of people at some point acquiesced but i persisted and um you know in college i was i had in high school i'd already started writing for my friend's uh zine and it was like a little skate zine and then Mm -hmm. in college i continued writing for another friend's skate zine and started writing for some local newspapers. Um, I was DJing at the radio station. Uh, my friends and I formed a record label that went on to like make some noise. And mm-hmm. I started writing for like hip hop magazines that were starting to sprout up in the early nineties. And so it was, it was like a, a actual thing that had traction after a while. And so after college, I thought, Oh, I can do this. Um, and that's really the first major inflection point of my life is my parents were like, no, you, you need to get a job. And we did not pay for college for you to write about music for magazines. Yeah. And, and so I got a job in Silicon Valley at a press and marketing shop. Actually, and one of our clients was Elon Musk, which is hilarious. No um, way. And, um, and I did that for two years and it really was it was terrible. I, I, I felt like, I felt like two different people, right? Nine to five, wearing a suit, going to work, commuting back home and then writing about music. Uh, and it just felt like two separate lives. And at some point in the late nineties, I, I decided to just get rid of the pretense and just dive into that world full time. And, and it wasn't easy. It was hard. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I really loved what I did meeting a lot of great people, interviewing my favorite artists in the world, getting flown to interview artists, um, and going to New York a lot, going to LA a lot. Like it was a very uh, seductive, sexy lifestyle, mm-hmm. but there was no money in it. And and my parents were very much, you know, that was probably the the, the, the bottom of our, the, the bottom point of our relationship. Like they, they didn't understand why I was pursuing this career in music journalism that wasn't making a lot of money, even though I did seem to enjoy it. And they just, it was a very, very tense moment in our relationship. If you, if, you, even though you weren't earning money in that time, when you look back on that time, what what were you earning? What, what, what made it significant and fruitful? I mean, it was, you know, the, the thing that I loved then and that I still love now, that the core of it is storytelling is one thing right the 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 Mm -hmm. idea of storytelling but really it's also like being able to talk to your favorite artists about the their creative process is yeah 
was so was it like a vehicle to kind of really get to people that you found fascinating and and inspiring in a way then like yeah i mean like that kind of frame i i interviewed nas before he ever dropped illmatic like he had one single to his name and i (laughs) i interviewed him for the bomb hip-hop magazine yeah 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 like like and then to hear a song and then ask for an interview to do the interview like it's an incredible feeling to ask what what did you what how did you make this thing and yeah, what it's the process? access, isn't it? Yeah, it's the access, which nowadays, I don't, I, I don't know if, sorry to jump in, but like, is that something you feel is lost in, in as kind of like publishing as an industry is obviously kind of like, you know, not as, not as big as it is. Like that's something I've, I say that because it was a similar route, uh, Joseph, when I kind of got into fashion, it's just swapping out music for fashion. And um, I had that access and that was the thing that really kind of catapulted my career. So it's interesting you say that. I just worry sometimes in, the, in like the setup nowadays is that those opportunities, although not as glamorous, like add so much value to people's, I don't know, long term sustainable career, which I don't see as much nowadays. I, I mean, it's access. It's not glamour. It wasn't glamorous, right? Like it, mm. like hip hop in the 90s, in the mid early to mid 90s is not glamorous. It's <laughs> yeah. it's um it's a very small group of people around the country that are championing this culture. And I was a part of that small group. It was, you know, there's a, and I, and I mean, relatively small, right? Like if we, like yeah. Illmatic is a perfect example. We all think of Illmatic as this classic record, but Illmatic is not platinum. Illmatic did not sell a million copies. Mm. Its influence is mm. uh, lasted over time and people love that record. And it, it was in a meaningful, impactful record. But it's not. It wasn't like there were two million people playing that record in 1994. So it was. It was access to to creatives, like supremely creative people, not necess- not celebrities. Like that wasn't the interesting mm, thing for me that yeah, they were yeah, famous. Yeah. It was that they were supremely creative people. But uh, it was. It was feel this feeling, and really, this is because of my mentor Jeff Chang. Um, he he made me. He's the one who got me into to writing about hip hop and write, writing about music and and understanding that music was actually culture like that artists belonged to communities that were part of a broader culture and there were socioeconomic forces within each community and culture and it, it just it was a it was just a gateway into a different world and, and really helped shape my worldview so for me interviewing artists was not about being them being famous or celebrities it was about tapping into something that I was curious about and had no exposure to. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to learn about it from the people who were actually creating the culture. And by proxy, I felt like I was participating along with a small group of people spread out across the country and and brought more broadly around the world who were championing this culture and helping grow the culture. Because there weren't a lot of music journalists at the time writing about hip hop. There, it was this exciting time where where local magazines were popping up all over the country, and I was also DJing on the radio station. I was also, for, we formed a record label called Soul Sides that was me, Jeff Chang, DJ Shadow, Black Alicious, Lyrics Born. It was you know, and we were making, we were doing shows, and we were making records and people are buying those records and writing about those records. So it was participating in this culture mm. that was really at a growth moment. And and that's what really was the intoxicating part about it was just feeling like you were as someone who didn't know how to play an instrument or make music or, or <laughs> yeah, actually yeah, yeah. have a creative bone in my body to, <laughs> yeah. to become an artist themselves. Like that was the way I got to participate in, in, in the culture and, and help create it. So um, all of that is to say, that's how I got into mm. the idea of storytelling. And somewhere in the late 90s, I was starting to write for, uh, you know, How I Met Amir is my first cover story as a writer was in 1996 for Rap Pages magazine, On the Roots. And it was their first cover story as a band. And I was wow. living in the Bay Area in California and got flown to Philadelphia to interview The Roots and met Amir. And that's you know, we just sort of hit it off. And, you know, Amir was, you know, he was, uh, he was a rap nerd just like me. And he yeah. knew my byline before I even showed up. And we argued about oh, rap wow. records all weekend. It was like, <laughs> and so we just hit it off. So we've been friends ever since. And um, 
and somewhere around the late nineties, I started to get burned out on writing. And, um, and in 2003, I transitioned into, into producing and directing and shooting and editing. And, um, and yeah, and that's sort of like, but the root of it all is like this, uh, this storytelling aspect of it, whether it was through articles or through TV or film or later, you know, later in film, but it's all part of the same thread, I think. And what was the pull to telling these stories? What do you mean? As in, you're at the forefront of culture, right? You're in the mix at the beginning. You're right at the fringe of, of a lot of this stuff. And there's people that are in the, in, in those mixes that I've experienced in, in kind of my circles that are just happy to just be within the culture, creating and, and living a lifestyle in connection with people within that space. And then there are other people that want to take the stories from that space and just project them out to the wider world. And it seems, and it seems like as a storyteller, and you were writing for some of these big, bigger publications that... I mean, it's a question, really. Like, was it important to tell those stories outside of those worlds to you? Or were you just happy um, learning and just kind of reflecting them back to the people that were already in the world? You know, I I, th- I think there's this, you know, when there's this feeling when you put someone on to a new record, mm. like, yo, listen to this, <laughs> right? <laughs> listen, listen to this. And then you play it for them and then their minds are blown. Okay. And, yeah. and you've... It's like that. It's that feeling, right? It's like, yo, let me put you up on something that I've, I, I've found. Right. Yeah, I came up on, and I want to turn you on to it. That, that impetus is the thing I think that keeps Trevi. you, keeps you engaged in that. Mm. And I don't think that's a feeling that's ever left me, right? Like I, I even last night I was sitting in a car with a friend of mine, and we were playing each other records that. Oh, have you heard this? Oh, I found this. Oh, I, I oh, you should. Do you have you heard this Timbaland remix of Whitney Houston? Like, <laughs> yeah. like it, yeah. it's, yeah, it's cool. that sharing it's, ability, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, it's sharing and turning people onto things and growing. And again, it's growing the thing, right? Like you, mm. you want. Uh, I, I maybe at some point in high school, I was always like, oh, I found this thing and it's mine, and I'm going to keep it to myself. But that's not <laughs> that's not any fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. more fun is being in a room full of people appreciating a thing together. Mm. yeah um i was gonna kind of like so when you when you did kind of like then evolve and, and move over medium into film was like when you kind of started to work in that space was there like how was that initial um jump across and like as you've kind of developed and and grown your voice as a director and a producer like what has been the, the thing that's really uh made you appreciate that medium um i mean for me the turning point was in in 2003 i was sort of sick of writing i had friends that were doing it better and i was just like if i'm the best at this where does my life look like when i'm 40 years old and it was writing record reviews for spin magazine right like i was like that doesn't feel like a future that i want (laughs) to have right right yeah and so I was sort of desperate to find something else. And I got lucky in that I took a job at MTV as a writer at MTV News and Docs. And mm. I came in as a writer. And six months later, I saw what producers did. And it was a little bit of writing and a little bit of shooting and a little bit of editing and telling a story visually. And I said, I want to do that. And mm. I did my first piece. And it was actually, ironically, on The Roots. And, <laughs> and I loved it. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I It's still storytelling, but I'm getting to use these other parts of my brain, mm. how to show, not tell, how to play with words, but also play with images. And it just, a, 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 a switch got flipped in my brain where I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Wow. And thankfully, I had a boss there that was very supportive of transitioning me into producing. And producing in TV is really directing. So I I then produced another piece. It it went really well. I six months later I had my own show, which was a show called My Block that was like a hip hop documentary show. Mm. The first hip hop documentary series that was based on geography. We would go into a city and look at the culture and then wow. and everything, like the music, the mm. the uh you know, uh the car culture, the food culture, the 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 socioeconomics that formed that culture. Mm, like, all the different touch points of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, it, and what was cool about it for me, especially doing it at MTV, was that I wasn't just making this for like nerdy, my nerdy friends. It was how do I how do I translate this thing that I love that is is kind of nerdy to a broader audience, and that really was like figuring that out was an aha moment. It was like a lot of a lot of my friends or a lot of people I knew, my peers at the time, were sort of like skeptical of me going to MTV and, and being able to do anything. But for me, it was like, how do I turn the, the, um, a mainstream, how do I introduce a mainstream audience to s- chopped and screwed music? Right. In mm. 2005, <laughs> we did yeah. my blog. Houston. <laughs> right, right. And it was like, and it, and it really is actually figuring that out has led me my entire rest of the rest of my career because you're ma- it, it forces you to consider your audience. And what I would do is I would have to make sure my storytelling was aligned so that it resonated with the person deeply immersed in the culture who knows everything the mm-hmm. same way it resonated with someone who knew nothing about it was coming to it for the first time. And all these years later, Summer of Soul, the first thing Amir and I talked about when we set out to tell the story was who are we making this for? Mm. And what we realized is we're making it for the person who knows a lot about this music, but maybe doesn't know a lot about the context around the music. And we're making it for people who don't know anything about anything. And we want to bring them into this story and tell them a great story. And if, and when you identify that, it allows you to then measure everything against that. So, okay. Amir is a a huge music nerd and the movie very well could have been, oh, this person used to play with that person and back in this band before Sly and the Family Stone even existed and da, 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 da. It's all the stuff that we like as nerds. But does that resonate with someone who's coming to this story with fresh eyes? Probably not. So we didn't put it in there. And there's a couple of things that we have in the movie that are for the heads. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. but, But largely the storytelling follows the contours of being for uh, uh, someone who's coming into it new, but also satiating the heads who really know everything about everything. So uh, finding that sweet spot is sort of like, if, if you had to sort of characterize my, the way I do storytelling, it's finding the sweet spot between those two audiences. That must have been so tricky, considering both mm, of you identify yeah. as as music nerds. I would have thought you would need someone in that is a little bit more partial to to, to bring the balance. It sounds, it for me personally, it would sound like hard work. Like, how did you manage that? Did you have to keep I mean, that's correcting what, each other? That's what I do. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I do. Right. Like, that's my job as the producer is to tell Amir, like, not oh, tell right. him, but challenge him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, to frame yeah. his thinking and and like right. and and to his credit amir mm. left a lot of things on the floor because wow. he realized that it didn't service the larger story mm. and it's and it's and and done differently summer soul could have reached a different audience a smaller audience mm. but we knew we wanted we wanted to make this film we wanted to make a film that our friends liked but also our parents liked and yeah and finding that sweet spot is really what guided the storytelling. But, it's why, you know, we could have done f- 10 minutes on Weldon Ravine being Nina Simone's band director because Weldon Ravine has been sampled by every hip hop artist in the world. And and we would have lost, you know, a huge swath of the audience. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's credit to you because that's so, like it's easy to say that is one of the hardest things, I think, to do in film. And so many people kind of, you know to say you know finding that balance of you know it's so 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 difficult so yeah, yeah amazing it, work. And, it, it, and it and it hurts <laughs> it, it hurts, <laughs> it hurts your soul <laughs> <laughs> but 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 that being said like what's cool is there's also you know look the, what we what i've learned over the years and what i think amir understood in this process is that the heads are going to look for the things the heads are going to look for regardless if you serve it up mm. to them or if they have to find it. In fact, if you leave if you if you leave it in there for them to find, it's actually more enjoyable for the heads, right? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, like yeah. so it's like the Ray Barreto song in Summer of Soul we use is Abidjan, and that is a song that beat diggers know because Dilla sampled that song. And so like we don't have to say that in the film for the Dilla heads to get it and feel like to they go found off something. And, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So like maybe the hunt is part of that process for exactly. that, that, it's about that those kind of personality, personality type. 
yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Easter eggs along the way and the layers. Yeah, that, and that that yeah, I suppose in a way allows you to be a bit more um, creative and layered with your directing and producing, thinking and your storytelling overall. Where can we put these little bits in? Yeah, and and Amir is you know one of the things Amir. I think one of the reasons why we work together is he, his brain works as a series of pop culture references that <laughs> I I can understand because I've known him for so long. And also I sort of, you know, we subscribe to a lot of the same interests, but like there's a, there's a montage at the end of the film um, where it's like a montage of people screaming and guitars wailing, sort of laying on top of each other. And it comes at a point when basically Greg Tate RIP is saying, that you know, people screaming or or yelling in music is really a release of of trauma and pain, right? And and Amir was like, well, how do we convey this idea? And then he's like, oh, do you remember the end of Purple Rain? And my editor, our, our editor Josh Pearson, who's a genius, he's like, I, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, you mean like the thing at the end where they cut all the songs together? And, and Amir's like, yeah. And it was like, oh, so at the end of purple rain is this 10 second audio montage of once one second of every song from the, from the film. And it goes by really quick and a lot of people don't notice it, but of course Amir remembers that. And, <laughs> and that was the technique we used to sort of communicate this idea where we, we did one second of like every scream from the film um, and, wow. and put it together on a montage along uh, over a, uh, um, the Sonny Chirac guitar solo. And it was like, it, it, and it's just a it's a cool little thing that like five people will get, but those five people are going to feel like they discovered something. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, Go on, Rich. I, yeah. So you heard me take a breath. I love that. Um, just I mean, our, this this show we 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 bring on um, talent from the South Asian global community, and we're as interested as we are in everyone's individual journey. I also, or we also just kind of like to talk to the South Asian experience for, for the people that we bring on the show. So my, my question, and actually I watched uh, a YouTube video where you were on, was it Soleil Spotlight podcast, which is also a video they interviewed yeah. you briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there was two things that um, came up in there that I'd like to, yeah, ask you to talk a little bit about if possible. Sure. Um, and the first one was your name change, mm. if you feel comfortable sharing that. Yeah, um, I was born Monish Patel and at, you know, I was a child of the 70s and my parents were immigrants from Gujarat and I was born here. And, you know, in the 70s, basically the vibe around and, I, and this is weird because I think a lot of it's so different today mm. that a lot of people, a lot of younger people don't really can't wrap their heads around this. But you really were just trying to survive. Mm. <laughs> like it, it, it was it was a, an environment where I literally was getting physically beat up on the playground for having a different name because I went to a predominantly I was in a school that was with, with a few immigrant kids, few black kids and mostly white kids and uh. physically getting beat up on the playground as a seven year old for having a different name. My parents are getting yelled at um uh at the grocery store for being brown it just you know it's a, it was a different mm -hmm. environment like people called us iranians right like the, the american way to say it right the, you you fucking iranian you should go back <laughs> to the country and it yeah. and it's like yeah. and it and and as a child the trauma I, that all your your instinct is just like what the fuck i just want to fit in right there's this yeah. desire for assimilation and, and so, safety, I guess, as well, though, right? Like, even from that, yeah, space, like, it's like based on safety. Yeah, yeah it's it's rooted in in this idea of wanting to be safe and just fitting in, right, and mm. not being not being different. And so, um, you know, we, we my parents lived in a working class neighborhood, and so we were moving, and I was just like, I want to change my name to something more American, and. I am seven years old, right? I was, I was like, that's what I wanted to do. And, and my parents, who also had Americanized names at their respective office places, were like, fine. And so I changed my name to, to Joey, um, which is, you know, what a seven-year-old chooses his name, <laughs> yeah. right? Not yeah. Joseph, but Joey. Yeah. And, yeah. and 
and then you know in high school you know you, you as i got older i you know i was changing schools that year so it was able to, i was able to do it in high school you go through it and um you know you i found sort of my tribe in high school and, and mm. all the sort of like uh advanced uh courses it's it's mostly like asian kids and it was just like, yeah. oh, these are my friends, right? Other Indians and like, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> Afghani immigrants in California at the time. And like, you know, it was it was like all, all the in all the honors classes. It was like it was a, it was a more uh, democratic representation of, of the country. Right. Um, and um, and then when I got to college, it's sort of like, oh, well, two things were happening. One, I was writing. And so I didn't want my byline to be Joey. I wanted it to be more formal, so I, I I changed it to Joseph. But also, I became very aware that oh, there was an embarrassment I had for changing my name to be more American. I was starting to get more socially conscious and more conscious of my mm. own identity in college, and and that was a it was it was ten years later, but it was like oh, I had a lot of regret for actually changing my name and 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 being and being made feel like I had to change my name. Mm. But also because I was writing and I already was published, I was like, uh, you know, when you're young, you don't see the future. You, you, don't, yeah. you, think, the, you think the future is next week. It's not five <laughs> years from now. Um, but I, I legally changed my name to Joseph Monish Patel as a, uh, an attempt to reclaim my identity without necessarily succumbing the one that I thought I had built from writing for some small magazines in the Bay Area. Right. So that was sort of the journey of my name. But I think in hindsight, I would have. If I if I was smarter as a college kid, I would have just changed my name back to Monish. But um, and what's funny is like like girls and women I dated were always, always loved that like they all their their affectionate names for me were always my my birth name Monish. Um, mm. But it just it is one of those things where like now I look you know we have this like little gathering of South Asian creatives here in New York that happens every couple months and. I'm looking at this room full of people who are all brilliant, all creative, all some of them famous, and none of them changed their names. And I'm just like, you know, so in a weird way, I I was a little embarrassed by it in that in that setting. But also, I love that it's a trigger to talk about this because, mm. you know, Hassan Minaj doesn't have to change his name and he actually forced people to pronounce it the way he pronounces it. And <laughs> I love that. I respect that. Yeah. But that was not the environment in 1980. Yeah. And, that, and I guess that's his story as well. Like that that's the thing. It's like everyone's journey is, is so specific and and the individual kind of backgrounds and, and situations that they'll put up against is so, I don't know, it, it's not just you paint paint the brush, right? Over everyone. Yeah, and it's also, look, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard for people. Like I said, it's hard for people who are young now to understand what the environment was back then. Exactly. And and yep. I wish I was. You know, there's no internet, right? So it's not like like you learned at things at the speed in which it took to get to you, right? You didn't learn about things by just logging onto a, a computer and, and, f and getting the world's information at your fingertips. So things moved slower back then. I grew up in the suburbs of California. So like a lot of my friends who were from other cultures also had Americanized names and it was just common. It's what you did to sort of try to fit in and survive the, the tumult of assimilation of, of being an immigrant in a, in a, in a predominantly, you know, white American patriarchy. Mm -hmm. So I think that you know, I, I'm 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 proud that I was able to reclaim some of that. Um, I wish I was a little bit more forward thinking in college that I could uh, rec have reclaimed it all the way, but uh, I didn't, and it's part of my story. Thank you so much for sharing. Like it's so valuable uh, for me anyway to hear your journey. And yes, you might have felt shame, but there's a lot of um, growth that I, f I feel that I'm receiving in your story. And I suppose also, if you ever did want to change your name tomorrow, then you could do that, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I could, I could change it to anything tomorrow, right? Honestly, yeah. it's so true. It's so true. Um, but Joseph, how do you feel now when you're, we're seeing like so much visibility of the South Asian community globally, whether it's part of the diaspora or back home? Um, well, what does home even mean? But you know, like, back in India, in Bangladesh, in Pakistan, and 
that region. Um, how do you feel like having seen the years in the arts and in representation, which also led to, I'm assuming, like the joy receiving the Academy Award? Yeah, you know, I think there's a great amount of pride in it, but I, you know, three days before the Oscars, four days before the Oscars in L.A., there was a gathering honoring the South Asian nominees there uh, because there were multiple South Asian nominees for Oscars this year. Never, never happened at that scale. before. Mm, mm-hmm. And there was this gathering that someone, my friend Shruti had organized with to honor the people who were nominated, but also really to bring together the South Asians in entertainment mm-hmm. that were in L.A. that week. Hosted by Priyanka Chopra, who I don't usually fuck with, but I'll, I'll be honest, like she she was very nice that night and very um, and 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 was very respectful to to all of our accomplishments, which is not something I want to sneer sneer at. Um, but uh, Riz was there. I got to speak. Uh, every every brown actor you've ever seen on TV was there. Cal Penn, the, wow. the OG, was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, season, shit. Sorry. Who I've never yeah. seen at an Indian function ever in my life. So you know it was real. This um, was assemble. It was a proper assemble brown. Yeah, assemble. And it was, and it was cool. <laughs> it was cool because what I and I got to speak after Priyanka and Riz, and what I said to the to the room was that when I was younger, growing up, like I didn't have anyone to point to, mm. to to indicate to my parents this is what I wanted to do, and had an example mm. to show them Proof. of someone South Asian. And now I was in a room full of them, and that was a responsibility that we all had to carry because we were that example now for the next generation. And mm. we had to own that responsibility and be mindful of it and proactively make space for, for others. Um, and a responsibility to mentor that next generation. I know you guys have talked about mentorship on your podcast before. And it's, it's, I think it was, it was wanted to wanted that to resonate in that room that it wasn't, you know, cause there for oftentimes South Asians and, and I know other um, minority groups, quote unquote, minority groups um, feel this way. Is like oftentimes when you're in the room, you know, you're if, if there's another South Asian person in a room, you feel competitive <laughs> with them. You're made yeah. to feel competitive <laughs> with them. I think yeah. that attitude started to change about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I and I, you know, I just I felt really proud to be a part of that. And I felt really proud to be you know, have weathered the the lean years when I often was the only South Asian person in the room. Mm-hmm. I love when I walk into a room and there's there's more than one. Um, I feel camaraderie and solidarity with any non-white people I I, I see in a room, and um, and I think that's important. And I I also think it's important that we acknowledge that on on the Oscars this year, um, you know. That, that Anil and Riz and myself were the ninth, 10th and 11th South Asians to ever win an Oscar. And mm. I joked backstage that I was the first Patel to win an Oscar, which is true. Someone, <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, someone, so someone, called, stage. Yeah, someone, someone called me castist. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I was like, you sound like a lot oh, of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Because, because if anyone knows me, they know that, that I don't subscribe yeah, to cast. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I but, think you know, that's where we see, we see the um, the worlds of the native and the diaspora kind of collide because um, is is when you're brown and in the West, it's a very different treatment, especially if you don't come from a high socio socioeconomic background, regardless of your name or the caste that you might have come from in India or in South Asia. It's a different experience, you know. Yeah, and it, and and I, and I acknowledge that because the thing mm-hmm. is, is that. And, and this is something that comes up in our in our sort of community diaspora community here now, which is to me, I find solidarity. First of all, fuck Modi. I just, let's just say that right off the bat. Unanimously, um, yes. And 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 I feel solidarity with anyone brown, and really, I feel solidarity mm. with anyone non-white. Like that's the reality. <laughs> and yeah. and and I I'm smart enough and 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 perceptive enough to acknowledge. The differences between, yeah, you know, Pakistanis different. and Bangladeshis and Sri Lankans and Indians, but to the to the outside world, we're all the same. No one, yeah, you know, and within our community, we can acknowledge the differences and, and 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 appreciate the similarities and differences. But but outside of that room, we're all the yeah. same. 
right and i and i and i find solidarity in that like i it's like so i do feel a lot of pride when like again when anyone non-white is accomplishing something or is in the room or is in a space that that they historically have not been i feel connected to them Mm. yeah Yeah. joseph what's your um what is the importance then of a south asian filmmaker working um towards a project summer of soul which it puts into black archiving i mean i I don't i don't know if i can read anything larger into it than my own experience of course but like it you know i i think that what happens in this country like when my parents landed in this country there's really two things that they could mimic they could try to aspire for white success or black success or or white culture or black culture and they come to this country in 1972 and black the way black black americans are treated in this country is shit right like Mm. it's so of course they're going to aspire to be white to white culture right white success Mm. and i grew up with that and and what you learn and what i learned as a teenager is like oh actually i have i feel like i have more in common with with fighting the injustice mm. that black Americans have than I do with a, being in the oppressor class of, of white Americans. And I used to walk around with a Malcolm X hat on and, <laughs> and people, and, and, and some of my Indian friends were like, Oh, you're trying to be black. And I didn't have the language yeah. or the concepts or the ideas to articulate and argue what I wanted to. So I just wore the hat and mm. you know what <laughs> I mean? I like that. totally, yeah. totally. You still felt the that, spirit yeah. and the I energy. Think all yeah. Like on the pod also resonate with that really hard, really, really hard. Yeah, because it was like, it was like my favorite movie was Do the Right Thing. And it was like, (laughs) I I didn't have the language to articulate what I was trying to say, but I did it through symbolism. And, you know, my friends were black and brown. My, my, the music I listened to was hip hop. The, the, Mm. my mom was born and raised in Uganda for crying out loud. Like I was like, we have more in common with the black experience in this country than we do with the white experience. And so that was something that as a, as I became more uh, uh, educated and aware and socially conscious and, and personally conscious, like I started to identify with. And what's funny is I think everyone, like I have friends that made fun of me for, the, you know, pre- Oh, are you, are you trying to be black uh, back then who are praising me for winning an Oscar oh, uh, for doing Summer <laughs> of Soul now? Yeah. And, and then you know what? Everyone's on their own time. I'm welcome yeah, to the party. I'm glad true. you're here. Yeah, that's right? such a. But it's ironic. Consistent. You know, you're aligned, and people have no choice but to see you and join you if you're you're staying on your path. Yeah, but and I, I wouldn't say it's even a consistent path, right? It's filled with its own ups and downs and its mm. own things. Like, um, but it is it is it is it is one of those things that, you know, I am I am a South Asian filmmaker that and, and storyteller and in and, and every space I've worked like where I don't just do South Asian stories. I, I in fact, I rarely do them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important piece of the puzzle because, and I'm not, and there's, I'm not denouncing anyone who just does South Asian stories. Like I, you know, I, I, I just, I just want it to be known that like, you don't have to be a, a South Asian creative and just do south asian stuff yeah that's really important i think though because that's ideally where the space we want to be at where we can kind of just be known as a creative rather than a specifically south asian creative exactly but maybe right now yeah. like that is a great entry point for a lot of people kind of finding their voice and stuff but yeah preach man that is that's so important and really and there's no judgments either way just like it, it everyone can like I didn't have the opportunity to tell South Asian stories when I was younger because there were none being told. Exactly. There was no other, there wasn't not, uh, there were other South Asians doing what I did that I, f- I felt yeah, I could align with. There weren't mm-hmm. people receptive to green lighting South Asian stories. You know, the way we were represented in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands was not favorably. It's it, that's all, all of that is recent and it's, and it's happening because people incrementally have made changes and and, mm. every, and i make fun of aziz but even his presence on television opens yeah. the door yeah. his, you know mindy kaling's presence on television as much as she can be derided for what she does it does still open the door and and representation is important it's just not the only thing 
I find it so interesting that you said um, there wasn't at that time when you were on your journey early days, there wasn't many South Asian stories being told. But what's interesting for me is that there was one being clearly lived which which was yours, regardless yeah. of the circles you were in, right? I wanted and I that, I, I, I wanted to give that a little room. You landed that so <laughs> you landed that so Mars profoundly. Like Mars, Mars. Yeah. Oh Jesus, come on, man! This is what I do, baby. No, but no, but, it's on, no, but, it, no, but it is honest. No, but it is honestly that though. I think sometimes we look outside of our own journey for for stories, which I understand is is part and parcel of of being human and look looking for signaling and permission and whatnot, but regardless of where we are on our journey i think if we just pause sometimes and look at our journey mm. as a story in itself that that yeah. could be helpful to us and and the wider community man so honestly joseph hats off for staying true and just staying curious and um do you know what i mean and ended up where, where you are because it's super super helpful for, for no i, I appreciate that and that's still and that's the only reason i'm you know I don't usually like to do these things, but I'm I'm doing a bunch of them because <laughs> uh, I I want to, I want to tell the story, right? I feel mm -hmm. like it, the Oscar is a really good point to pause for a second and reflect, hoping that my story can inspire someone else. Because mm -hmm. I think it's important, you know. One of the things I I was talking to a group of young filmmakers the day before yesterday, and one of the things I was telling them is that you things change slowly change happens really slowly it happens incrementally but it it happens with every decision and with every project and you have yeah. to proactively make space for the people you want to see in that space and mm. if you're if you're if you're a white uh cis male uh and you are down for the cause if unless you are proactively making space for other voices then you're fine with the status quo yeah, is yeah. what you're saying yeah like yeah. everybody has a responsibility to contribute incremental change to this it's the only way things are going to change at a large level and all we want as people who have historically been marginalized on the outside of these spaces we just want to be able to participate just like anyone else does we want to be able mm -hmm. to yeah. have the same opportunities to succeed to fail to have second chances just like anybody else does that's all we've ever wanted and it's it is really you know up to us to the ones that do break through and have some success to be able to share our stories to also be able to um hopefully inspire in, in, uh, the next generation or even our peers but also to uh, put pressure on people who are decision makers to actively make change. I mean, you said you have a, yeah, listen, listen, <laughs> you need to breathe for a second right now, everyone that's listening. And I think what's beautiful about that last word is that it's bang on the hour, which is your hard cutoff point, Joseph. Yeah, I, I know you've I, got a lot going on today. I got like 10 minutes left for you guys if you want. Okay. I mean, I'm... There's a lot of processing going on in, in my mind at the moment. I think I've, yeah. I've learned so many things already. And um, the majority of my questions have been asked, yeah. um, if not uh, answered, without being asked, to be honest. <laughs> so <laughs> I, Aaron and Alma, yeah, there I, any more things I, you might want I have, to dive into? I have one that maybe could be a, a nice way to wrap, wrap it up. And firstly, I'd like to say that your story, I think, will definitely inspire kind of the next generation um, whether you do it and you know sharing it on our pod or other people's stuff so um, that's already in motion and I'm super excited to see like you said it does happen slowly so you know people listening to this episode and and seeing your Oscar win and BAFTA win and um, what's exciting is seeing you know that that kind of inception uh, kind of work its way five years and seeing those those kind of like filmmakers or creatives that kind of been born from that moment that you kind of really inspired them um so yeah on that point um what advice would you give to younger filmmakers um or maybe even creatives because you felt like storytellers you felt like you've you know really stretched your creative skills across writing and, and producing and all of that uh, good stuff um, um yeah what would you give for them kind of like on the start of their journey i think find your tribe right like find find the people that you like to make things with find the people 
that you trust with the work that you do make so that you're getting honest feedback and encouragement and support. A lot of this, especially as South Asians in these spaces or others in these spaces, it's lonely. It's, it's, a, mm. it's a journey that comes, you know, oftentimes people are put in positions without any support to, or, or being set up to succeed. So you need to have that in your own life. Find your own creative community, find your own people who, even if they aren't creatives or people that you trust to give you honest feedback and to support you and help you and encourage you when you need it. That's, I think that's the biggest piece of advice I can give is find your tribe. And it doesn't necessarily have to be other filmmakers. Like my best friends are, one is the pop music critic at the New York Times. The other is a professor and author and writer for the New Yorker. Another is a DJ and promoter. Another is a mm. music consultant. Another is a TV producer. Like it's, it's, it's just a, a group of people that I've, I've love and trust and who love and mm. trust me. And we share each other's work and achievements and successes and failures and pick each other up when we need to and share work when we need to and collaborate when we need to. And um, I think that's really important. I think, you know, your tribe will always change as you get older and as you progress, but find your tribe. Um, and then the second thing I think is, you know, this is a little weird because, you know, it's more of professional, like actual practical professional advice. Yeah. Is we all want to change the world, right? We all want to change how things work. And sometimes you kind of got to pick and choose your battles. I think that's, that's some real practical advice I would give someone. It may read a little weird um, because it's not very idealistic. It's not very romantic. You want to, <laughs> yeah. when, when, you, when you get up into a space, you just want to cause hell and yell at everybody and be like, this is the way you do it. And this is the way you should do it. But those things happen incrementally. You have to have people buy into your vision and that comes slowly. And that, mm. and that comes with earning some trust and then trading that trust for some change. Mm. And, you know, I think Ooh. one boss, lesson in my boss, life. Boss, boss, boss. boss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? That, that's Jersey, that, that, we need that's landed. Machine. Yeah, that yeah, must be like, landing internally with us three so much because we're yeah, working yeah. on loads of different projects. And yeah, that that uh, man, 100 yeah. percent has landed. Yeah. And like an example of that is when I when I got to MTV, I, you know, I, I was like, oh, MTV, like it's corny. And I know more about music than anyone there and blah, blah, blah. But it's like I wanted I entered that. I, I hadn't had a lot of success with like having a full-time job and like working at a place and being on a track for growth. And so I entered that job with a lot of humility where I said, you know what, I'm just going to shut my mouth and do whatever they tell me to do for six months. I want to learn how the place works. Mm. I want to earn their trust. And I did everything they asked me to do from the shittiest thing. Like don't cover <laughs> this Britney Spears perfume red carpet Shit. at Macy's. On <laughs> Street. I'm so sorry, Joseph. To, to like, you know, like go interview some kids who are waiting in line at TRL. And it's like, I did everything and I did it so I could one, earn some trust two figure out how the place worked and mm. three, then strategize how I could actually make a better impact. And what I did yeah. was after doing that for six months, I understood what stories they said yes to and what they said no to. Right. And I tailored the stories I wanted to do to what would appeal to them. Yeah. And then slowly as that, and then I knew that would win. And then like when the, the more victories I got, the more cloud I got and the more change I was able to affect. If I had come in guns blazing and being like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I would have been out of here in three months. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think yeah. in, you have to sort of pick and choose your battles and, and in a real practical way, um, um, really sort of earn, you know, again, earn, earn trust to exchange that for change. Oh man. Yeah. And so, with change, change here does not mean money. As in change in your pocket, it means a literal change. Sorry, that was just a clarification because my brain was like, oh shit, get trust and then make money. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, oh, sorry, Amos, were well. you about to? Sorry, I was. No, it was. No, no. We're talking about cultural change. Go, like, change. Yeah, impact. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, both yeah, yeah. banks. Like, <laughs> make <laughs> your money. <laughs> yeah, like, make you guys your money. watching Top Boy too much. Too much Top Boy. Do you know what? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Um, yeah, no, I think, well, I think both, like, if you could su support yourself doing what you love and also make some change and make some change, then wicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 both changes. Do, do you know what, then I, I just think, just for just for clarity, or maybe it's an add-on thought, uh, Joseph, 
is if you are picking your battles, right, and you're, you're understanding the space you're working in the industry in order to affect change later on, do you think it's also wise then if you're so stubborn that you don't want to let go of a certain passion project to do that outside of the skills for money world? So like you're working on your passion project on the side or do you think you should bring in your passions at a certain time in the career space later? If that makes sense as a question. I mean, I don't know. I think it's different for everybody, obviously, but I... I I'm a big believer in the idea that things happen when they happen, right? Like you can try to pursue something and it's maybe just not the right time or the right environment or the right climate or the right, you know, context. And, you know, the thing about passion projects is they're, they, they will burn inside of you for however long they burn inside of you. Um, I have a passion project I want to do now, even with an Oscar win, in, in, in my in my in my in my uh, possession, mm-hmm. I I know that man I want to get it done right now, but it's probably not the right time mm-hmm. to get it done right now. Right, I need to I need a little bit more time to sort of like play around with the idea and, and bring it to people so that they understand what I what I my vision right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so I think it's different. I think it's different for everybody. I think it's different. You know, sometimes you can you can try and pursue something so passionately you you it's just excruciating to understand why yeah. someone is not why it's not coming together understand it yeah why it's not landing it's okay yeah. to put that to bed for a little while let it maybe it's not the right time right like i think it, it's it's different for everything i think but sometimes it's okay <coughs> excuse me sometimes it's okay to to realize like okay if i maybe this isn't working maybe i should try something else and then come back to this i think that's okay that's such wisdom yeah really appreciate that thank you joseph thank you so much for your time like it's actually such an honor um we all work across the arts and um i've i work in film as well and it's just really nice to speak to someone that is of a different generation from a different space but values really overlap um Mm. and you're welcome thank you um and it's lovely to like not not that we're always held to these accolades and not that they completely validate your work or you know like it's not necessarily the destination but it's certainly um a moment to take time and say yeah Yeah. because like this is the kind of stuff that like i don't know i dream of like in terms Mm -hmm. of just being able to reach lots of people to work on these on projects that um people are really celebrating and so I know that you're celebrating. I know that you're taking the time, but just a mini, what is this behavior celebration from us to you as well? So thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, listen, it's, um, I, 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 I never thought this was possible, right? Like I never, I never thought these accolades and awards and things were possible. And, and I think that makes me appreciate them that much more, right? I never wanted it. I never set out for it. And the mm. fact that we more importantly, I'm just proud that we made something good. And I, mm. and I know my role in that. And I know I've been doing that my whole life. It's just never been on this scale or level before. So the fact that people see it, acknowledge it, and they love it, that's the most important thing to me. Everything else yeah. has been a blessing and, and yeah. a bonus. And the I think it's really important where I was, I, if you had asked me to do this two years ago, I probably would have said no. But I feel like it's okay to talk about this stuff now because, you know, I, I didn't have anything I, I I didn't have anything when I was coming up that that gave me any sort of shortcut to any of this, right? Yeah. And and I if if I can be a shortcut or or lend some words of wisdom or just even cause someone to view things a little bit differently that's helpful, like yeah. that's 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 all worth it for me because then that saves that person a little time so they can be great for a little longer. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just, I think that we have a responsibility to each other to help when we can and in any way we can. So I appreciate yeah. you guys asking me to be on this. I've, I've listened to some of your uh, other episodes and oh, you wow. have incredible, <laughs> incredible people on here sharing their stories. And I think it's really important. Oh, amazing. You Thank you. I think, yeah, hundred percent. And I think just to, to kind of build in your last point, and I'm speaking on behalf of, Ruben a mess, but it was definitely one of the reasons uh, one of the drivers for for the pod, you know, to kind of we we've kind of been all on our long own creative journeys, and I think we we felt 
there was a shift in the culture and especially in the South Asian culture. And there's, you know, there was going to be attention and creativity really kind of blossoming. Um, but we felt it was really important for us to also kind of shape that dialogue and it not just be extracted from the culture, um, yeah. which was super, super important. And, and yeah, just putting, and, and like you said, like going back to your early days of, as a writer, for us, this is a, a vehicle to speak to some super, creative inspirational fascinating uh people globally and like even that in itself is is such a gift that this pod has kind of uh given us across the two years so this is just the beginning we're working on so many other bits outside of this which is uh hopefully gonna just uplift the culture and and make us all win awesome let's do it what is this behavior so thank you for sticking with us through another amazing episode. Um, as always, you can find us on all the socials. So social Insta is What Is This Behaviour podcast. Twitter and TikTok are both WITB underscore podcast. If you want to deep uh, the episodes and a little bit about us and what we've got planned um then you can hit the website which is what is this behavior podcast.com feel free to support us on ko-fi because this is still a passion project we're actually deep into the uh growth of this project it's two years deep and we've still been managing to do it as a side hustle so um i don't know props to us i guess uh, and finally please rate us on apple as it really does help uh push the pod out uh promote and it helps us um yeah climb those what do you call it i don't even know is it um charts i don't even know if they're called charts anymore but anyway it helps spread the message and we think we're doing some interesting and important work for us our community and a wider community um so yeah and yeah please do get in contact we actually do want to hear from uh, all the listeners whether it's uh, suggestions of different people we should interview or topics uh, or even just connect with us we're open people um, so yeah you can you can find us on all those platforms that we suggested um, so to our next episode in two weeks time i've been aaron christian and i'll catch you in two weeks Peace. what is this behavior do you want it you're dying for it <laughs>